0: See, this is the real secret of life. To be completely engaged with what you're doing in the here and now. And instead of calling it work, realise that this is play.
1: Welcome to the Restore to Explore podcast, hosted by your soulmates from the Foot Collective
0: Australia. I'm Jim Dooner and I'm Mac Lyon. We're on a mission to empower humans to restore their natural health and function from the ground up so they can explore movement and life with freedom and confidence.
1: This week, I'm back with Tom from Breath Performance to explore the concept of shin splints. So what they are, how they happen, and what you can do about them based on the current research, as well as our experience with our physiotherapy clients. If you're struggling to make progress in your rehab with shin splints or with any lower limb condition, please feel free to reach out as we can either help you directly with our online consultations, or we can point you in the direction of other practitioners or resources that can help you.
0: Before we jump into this week's episode, we wanted to let you know about our brand new TFC Explorer membership, specifically designed to help humans get out of pain and find foot freedom. You see, we've had thousands of people reach out to us from across the world since TFC was founded seven years ago. Many have been in pain. They've tried traditional approaches with health professionals and were left feeling disempowered, lost, and often alone. But they refused to give up. They knew there had to be another way. And that's usually when they found us. The problem is there's so much information out there that's often conflicting and it can be super tricky to know who to listen to and what step to take next. We've been listening to these stories for years and working hard behind the scenes to bring everything we've learned from those interactions and the experiences of the collective to create something really special we believe has the potential to change lives. Whether you have a specific condition like plantar fasciitis, bunions or Morton's neuroma, or just want to improve your overall foot or movement health, the TFC Explorer membership is for you. The membership lets you into our exclusive Explorers Circle, a private online community of like-minded humans on the same journey. Together you'll complete a 42-day virtual health experience with daily lessons and challenges that will upgrade your health from the ground up and help you build powerful, sustainable habits, plus some lifelong mates from around the world. On this journey, you'll be guided by our ultimate digital training tool, the Collective Compass. That includes a training library with exercises, routines, and detailed actionable guidance for your specific condition. Every two weeks, you'll also be able to connect for live group calls with our experienced TFC guides and your fellow explorers to share your experiences and ask questions. And if you join before July 2023, you'll get 50% off your membership for life It's our way of saying thanks for helping pioneer this exciting new adventure. Head to thefootcollective.com forward slash explorer to learn more. You'll find the link in our show notes.
1: Yes, fortunately, I've never experienced
2: shin splints myself. (laughs) Have you? Yeah, I reckon I have, but for a very small period of time. But this was like probably 2011. And it wasn't from running. It was from just working in very terrible shoes. On uh, a hard surface in a shopping... Oh, true. Yeah, yeah. It was weird. And like the shoes just wore through. And then I remember having like shin pain. This is before I knew anything about what it was. Yeah. But it didn't stop me from doing anything. It can't have been too bad. But that's the only time in my life I can remember having shin-related pain.
1: Mm, hmm. I'll tell you about a time in my life I had shin-related <laughs> pain. I uh, I was, it was my first job as a trolley pusher. Oh, good job. And I was... It was with my mate. We used to work together. One of my best mates in high school. And I was... Where we were messing around, uh, jumping up onto a concrete ledge because we'd pushed all our trolleys, and I can't remember what we were just trying to box, box from, jump basically yeah. onto a concrete fun from ledge. The sound of it. And my uh, foot slipped on the ledge, and my shin smacked right into the corner of that lid, ledge. And you know when you get those really deep w- wounds where you can see white, yeah, like yeah, yeah. whether it's the bone or something, <laughs> that was really bad. I think I think it might have been like a bit of a micro fracture. Because that sh- my shin really hurt for a while. That's
2: understandable. Con- concrete versus man. Yeah. Concrete. Wins. Concrete wins. When when it's ninety Nine times edge. out of ten. Yeah, it's no good. So that's yeah. not shin splints though. That no, a, not shin splints. That is a splinting of the <laughs> shin. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, so yeah. So yes, so that was a side note. But um, yeah, we always, you know, this these podcasts are really about exploring the condition uh, at a in a broad sense really like we, we're not going to go fully into the nitty-gritty we're going to get into some relevant anatomy and physiology and everything um, but really these podcasts are a breakdown we want to make it accessible to you the listener um, regardless of what background you have if you've got a health background or if you're just someone who is suffering with shin splints or you just know someone who's suffering with shin splints we just want to give you the, uh, the overview the breakdown of what they are how they happen and what you can do about them so that you get some actionable uh, information to work with and obviously you know it, none of this is can be construed as fully medical advice it's, <laughs> it's just a podcast for really for informational purposes we want to give you some you know some starting points but if you are suffering with a, a condition then obviously we always recommend individualized assessment and guidance where possible. Um, And if you don't know any practitioners in your local area, then Tom and I both offer uh, online consultations as well. So um, the other thing to mention is that obviously this is just our current understanding of the condition and things can change with more research or different things that come into our awareness or our experience. So we reserve the right to
2: change anything that's said here, but... We will change our opinion at some point, no yeah. doubt. There will be not, more information.
1: If you're not changing your opinions regularly, then something's, something's wrong, because there's always, there's always more stuff to find out. So this is just our current understanding, and with that being said, we will crack in. So, Tommy, shin splints, what, what are they?
2: It's a very good question. It's a very vague term, isn't it? <laughs> it <laughs> what is, is a vague. shin splint? What is um, a splint? Yeah, did, yeah, if you try googling shin splints, it's actually, you come up with all sorts of different um, uh, definitions of what a shin splint is. And I think that's why, you know, they end up changing the term. So for anyone out there, we all grew up calling it shin splints. And even today, like we still use the term shin splints because most people have a general idea of what that is. But in literature and across textbooks and all sorts now a lot of it gets termed as medial tibial stress syndrome mm-hmm. sounds mouthful yeah too much <laughs> MTSS for short um so if you hear MTSS or shin splints I'm using them interchangeably for this podcast but essentially shin splints itself is some form of pain that is going on your shin more likely on the medial aspect so if you looked at both your legs you're looking at the shin bone, so that's the tibia, just on the inside edge. And often it's going to run somewhere up the shaft of it. So not so much towards the ankle, not all the way up the knee, somewhere in the middle. And it can sort of be localized. Or you might just find those little points that are more sensitive or sore than others. But often it's just like vague, dull, achy sensation that people get often with running in the inside part of their shin.
1: Hmm. Oh, That was nice and concise. Yeah. And people, a lot of people... You probably, if you're listening to this, you probably have heard of someone or you've either experienced shin splints or you know someone who's experienced shin splints. They're actually, they're impressively common. Yeah, uh, very common. Probably most weeks I'll get someone who has had shin splints or knows someone like, or asks about it. Or that between
2: the clients or the community and stuff, there's always someone who's suffering or ha- knows someone who's suffering with shin splints and asks, what can I do about it? Ironically enough, actually, my um, sister-in-law... Asked this question last week. Oh, there you go. Uh, she's asked... She's been doing a lot of walking and she's wondering what to do about her shin splints. Oh, and this was podcast like, is for her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, but my first thought was, oh man, don't ask me those questions. So, <laughs> i got so many questions for you. <laughs> yeah. You've got to go deep.
1: Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> yeah, even... if Yeah. Even if your pain experience is categorized as something, and as a diagnosis, there's going to be different factors for everyone, yeah. uh, which I'm sure we can get into. But... Uh, did you want to get into a bit of the sort of basic yeah. anatomy and physiology and well yeah so if we, if
2: we work often what we like to do is if you think about we're going on a bit of a story a bit of a journey if we start from that and we work forward it all tends to make a bit more sense um the only other probably part there to note with shin splints MTSS as a term is it's still not 100 percent clear if it's an inflammatory condition or if it's more of a traction related problem to the tibia they seem like Likely, probably get a bit of both, and depending on the person, on the severity, uh, you're gonna have a little bit of both. But again, that's why the term shin splints. It's why MTSS are both not very specific. If you ever see the word syndrome in front of something, that means there's a variety of potential mm. causes, or we truly don't understand all of the um, pathology to the condition. Yeah. So. so yeah, that that's a
1: good point. Actually, is. A diagnosis often is just a label for the thing you're experiencing it's not the diagnosis isn't the root cause of your pain yeah
2: which is and and we use that language so there's a shared understanding between the person telling you you have it and yourself so like client and practitioner but also just a client to client like you're talking to your friend most people can't know what shin splints are and the same we we use the terminology physio to physio like if i say this person is suffering from shin splints I don't really have to explain to you too much what that means. Yeah. But yes, there are more than we have to go into more specifics from our end, but yeah. it's good to understand that as a, a point. Um, but yeah, as for the anatomy, what my favorite, right? So when we go down to the leg, we don't even have to talk about the foot at the start. What a weird thing. Hmm. Um, you're looking at below the knee and you're looking at your tibia, which is the big shin bone. And then the other bone being the fibula. Okay. So we're really interested at this point in the tibia within the circumference of your leg, you've got what we deem four compartments. So there's the muscles on the front that make the anterior compartment. You've got the muscles on the outside, which are the lateral compartment. And then there's two compartments at the back, a superficial and a deep compartment. Now, to understand MTSS shin splints, we're really looking at the posterior aspect and particularly the deep aspect. We'll touch on the superficial in a second. But the reason we're so interested with the posterior tissues is that it's, been hypothesized essentially across time that it's those muscles in the deep posterior compartment that tend to cause the problem so if we break that down you've got three muscles back there one's called the tibialis posterior and it attaches essentially to the underside of your foot you've got your flexor hallucis longus which think of it as like your big toe flexor it's the thing if you try and curl your big toe it's one of the muscles that helps contribute to that and then you've got your flexor digitorum longus that goes to the other four toes and essentially does the same thing helps to curl your toes and Originally, and Jim and I were talking about this before we started, at uni we, we kind of got told that a lot of the problem with shin splints was tib post or tibialis anterior, which is on the front. wasn't much credence given to those other muscles, but it seems now that you have a bit more willingness for people to go, well, maybe your shin splints are coming from one of those three muscles at the, at the back, so not necessarily tib post, but also potentially from the soleus, which is technically in the superficial Uh, posterior compartment and if you think about that you've got your big calf muscle which you can see the two heads that's called the gastrocnemius and under that the deeper sort of bigger calf muscle is the soleus reason that muscle plus those other three get sort of involved in this idea of MTSS is those muscles all cause inversion or turning your foot in so if you imagine like rolling your ankle and your foot goes inwards that's inversion in our world and when we look at that motion when you see people who get shin splints, they often have a lack of control going into a flat-footed posture or pronation. So those four muscles particularly are the muscles that are going to help control, just from like the leg down, the, the falling of that arch. And what is hypothesized, if it's a traction-like injury, is that those muscles are getting pulled on the medial posterior aspect of your tibia, and it's tractioning on the shin and as you're going into pronation. And it's probably useful to note before I throw it back to you, that it's not necessarily pulling on the bone per se. There is a a sheath of connective tissue that lays over the bone. So think of it like a hand in a glove. It's not the hand being the bone and the glove being the connective tissue. The bone probably doesn't have too much of a problem, but the glove is the thing that's getting pulled on, creating the traction, which can potentially cause the inflammation and the associated discomfort that can come along with it.
1: Hmm. That was a lot. Yeah. (laughs) But... It's uh, it's handy to know because, mm. well, I've got a couple of couple of questions that the listeners might be wondering out of that. Good. So, first of all, they've hypothesized that these muscles are contributing, and you mentioned that part of it is, you said they uh, someone might have trouble pronating or they're their sort of arch flattening which we've talked about before on the podcast is a natural movement of the foot and ankle and needs it needs to happen for efficient gait and running but it just you don't want it to be the only movement you have access to you need to be be able to have both so do you mean people who are more predisposed to get shin splints or people who have shin splints would likely present with an inability because they're rigid in a supinated position and they can't flatten, or they can't control that flattening
2: very I, well. i would say more. This is I mean, this is the clinician experience, more the controlling aspect. Yeah, I've um, I'm sure someone out there. I'd love to hear from them too. I've never seen anyone who has shin splints who has like a really high arch, mm, and just only has a high arch. It it seems to be that uh, through motion is yeah. where the problem's coming in.
1: So those muscles that you were just talking about that help control that motion so there's an element of weakness in those muscles that is meaning that they're not strong enough to properly control that pronation or that flattening and therefore there's pulling happening through that line of tension between the muscles and the bone
2: in essence yeah and it's like it's like any motion like if you um Listen to the story that often accompanies having shin splints. It's going to be one of increased intensity really rapidly or increased volume of training quicker than probably Mm. what they should. So there's Mm. this overload component into it. Mm -hmm. And like most movements, there's no bad movement, like pronation, for example, great movement, keep it, you want it. But most problems are probably coming down to that you're just not ready to physically be trying to push that boundary, whether that's from a volume standpoint or an intensity standpoint.
1: Yeah. And similar, similarly, something we've talked about before is your technique would then come into play there because sometimes, uh, your exercise or movement technique will load certain areas in ways that maybe they weren't ready to be loaded or, or in ways in different ways than if you had a different technique and there would be techniques, especially for things like running that you could deem as optimal. Mm. Um, or more, or better. <laughs> well,
2: yeah, and like, and that's or I more think, efficient. Well, they're more efficient, um, and I have seen like it postulated like if if we're looking for efficient movement, should we train people to have inefficient movement so they are more robust? And it's, it's a very interesting point, right? Yeah. And I'd suppose to really answer it, because I don't, I'm not necessarily against it, it's just against the way they word it. When when you try to look at people who have MTSS or any other problem essentially having the variety of options available to you in a, in a range that you can control and have access to is key. So like, it doesn't mean that every time that we take, take a step with walking or running, for example, those movements are never exactly the same and Mm -hmm. they will never ever be exactly the same. That seems to be pretty true for most motor control theory. They'll be very similar to the eye. They look very similar. You could even, you know, do a bunch of force conduction or whatever, but Essentially, you're always going to be moving slightly differently. And if you just have the ability to have those different options, it does make you a bit more robust. And I think you find like the people with shin splints, they probably move in a very similar way. And like you said, don't have access to other sort of positions and probably can't create certain postures in the foot that probably benefit them to not having right. MTSS.
1: So yeah, so te- technique is one part of it, but probably the bigger part is the load imbalance or the, the the which is what we've talked about um previously on the podcast and actually forgot to mention at the start of the podcast if you haven't listened to the principles of rehab podcast which is episode two in this latest season um then that would be a good one to listen to for background here uh, but now that you're here <laughs> um injuries tend to occur when there is when there is that imbalance between your capacity and the demand and usually that will happen when you've been mostly when you've been sedentary for some time or you haven't loaded a certain area for some time and then you decide that you want to start doing some kind of exercise that then loads that area in a way that's too much for those muscles to handle so you might be able to handle it fitness wise so you might be able to go out for a run and and handle it um i guess what's the word not physically but like cardiovascularly you can handle that run but mus- musculoskeletal maybe those or might not be one run but musculoskeletal over time those tissues weren't ready for that or you just haven't given your body enough time to recover yeah and so, like,
2: and, and interesting <clears throat> that you touch on those points because like it's it, when you look at like the risk factors for it this is like amazing when you read this I'm going to read the line because I think this is something that we can really delve into like the main risk factors include excessive pronation. That's what they write. Training errors, shoe design, surface type, muscle dysfunction, fatigue, and decreased flexibility. Hmm. They're the primary like factors that are they. They got research articles and stuff behind them. And when you break them down, the excessive pronation. There's no actual t- definition of what that is to start with. Hmm you pronate it or you supinate we don't really know how far is too far or not far they're just everyone's going to be different and can you control the motion is probably the key point there
1: and can you go between them yeah
2: like do you have access to them which means that you have to have access to your hips like do your hips rotate and do you have the control do your feet talk to your hips
1: so they must mean with when they say excessive pronation they must mean can't unable to supinate. Effectively, yeah. it would be interesting to
2: get the greater definition because they they do go into depth in like their secondary um, layers of risk factors. In that, increased hip internal rotation or increased hip external rotation are both potential risk factors. Yeah, that's listed for. <laughs> yeah, that, that is listed for. So increased yeah, yeah, so increased, yeah. So What does that mean? Anything increased. It's like well, I don't know what that means. Yeah. But like it seems that like most things, what we said before, training errors seem to be key. Like if you think of surface type, for example, if you're someone who is running on grass and you're always running on grass, you're probably pretty good on grass. You decide to go run on a track, which is quite firm Mm. and it has a different texture to even concrete or like asphalt. And you try to do the same load that you were doing on grass over there. That isn't That is a different load,
1: a whole different load to your body. Yeah, And the
2: way that you have to absorb the force is quite different. So Mm. you have to understand that like that's, you know, it could be deemed a training error, but that's an environment change that's useful. My favorite one is shoe design I think that's something mm. that we love touching on
1: so what, what was their notes on shoe design like what, it just
2: what... it, it just says shoe design and then it does it does risk in the secondary problems orthotics are a problem and a risk factor okay and we can only make an assumption of what they are without actually asking the people who wrote all of the articles but I assume what they probably mean is that when it comes to pronation a lot of orthotics, that we see are trying to limit pronation or yeah. to stop it from happening. And if part of the problem is not controlling into that pronated position, an orthotic won't teach you to control that. It'll just keep smacking your foot into it. So you're still going to have these issues. And potentially one of the issues is that you just never learn to control those muscles. Mm. And you're still trying to do the volumes and loads thinking that your foot's not going through that range. Yeah. And that probably isn't useful. And again, most people we know who have orthotics have unnatural footwear and that unnatural footwear is going to squish their toes, squish their forefoot, which again, if two of those three muscles that we said in the deep compartment are going to your toes and they're all getting squished, their ability to lengthen and shorten appropriately probably isn't an optimal function. Mm. Uh,
1: Yeah, and the squished toes will affect your ability to form or create that arch and Mm. to go go, uh, move into supination. So really the essence of all that is They've identified these muscles that are probably involved in the experience of shin splints and these muscles in large part are involved in controlling the arch. So anything, any, uh, I guess lifestyle or environment, environmental stimulus that decreases the capacity of those muscles, such as orthotics or unnatural footwear, um, any arch supportive, kind of device will over time decrease the capacity of those muscles the other thing that i would consider which i imagine they probably don't have as a risk factor there is is just the actual environmental context that everything is flat and level yeah and so you don't you're not really exposed to Conditions where you have to control, as obviously you have to control it to a degree on flat and level ground, but you're not actually going through bigger ranges of motion between either pronation and supination because everything is just this one flat level surface. Um, whether that's in your house or um, on the road or on the footpath or even grass, you know, parks and all these surfaces, you know, that obviously you you can interact with them well. But if you're never interacting with something that's uneven. You, that will decrease the capacity of those muscles as well.
2: Yeah, and that's a really good point. And something that probably doesn't get touched on enough is a term called sensory integration. Like mm. if you're running on a flat surface, there's going to be a certain amount of feedback that's going to come through your system. That is like just from the, the foot feeling the ground, the foot going through a certain range of motion, and then all the ligaments, joints and tendons and muscles actually working in that same range. If you then start running on like a slightly inclined, unsteady surface, like trail running is a good example. It doesn't seem like a great deal to you. It's still maybe a flat surface, but you're still gonna get a bunch of different feedback. And that feedback, we we haven't really quantified that, but then you have to layer that with like, if that's one layer of load, if then I'm running with a group and talking to people or I'm trying to run faster, if I'm putting music in, like it's getting a bit darker, like all these sensory changes, are going to change the way that your nervous system, in essence, gets loaded, hmm. and then that that's going to affect a lot of things that we don't fully appreciate within, just like the idea of load. Like you said, environment is one thing, shoes are another thing, surface are another thing, but all those little components are stacking in, and they're very much going to contribute to fatigue. Like yeah. we know that the c- central nervous system is where the fatigue can come from for a lot of these things. So and we,
1: fatigue is one of those risk factors. Yeah.
2: So if you if you're someone who struggled with a traditional pro- approach to just like stretching and strengthening it maybe there are other things that you can start looking at that are probably worth looking into mm. They are, yeah. but it, it, it's interesting when you start reading that like in, increased pronation, decreased pronation, increased hip rotation or not like in essence it seems that those three muscles, the fourth if you include the soleus and the leg are important but like they don't even go into what happens necessarily with the hamstring the quad, the glute your breathing, your balance system. Like they may not necessarily be risk factors within research, but they all factor in how you move your body.
1: Yeah. Because all those things will affect how those muscles act Mm. because I guess this was the other thing I was going to ask. And I know you're aware of this, but the listeners, I think it's good to just clarify is that the body, uh, like, yeah, the body, the human body doesn't think in terms of singular muscles and like oh this mu-, you know it, it mm. thinks in chains of movement basically, and you know we've we're humans have identified have cut open cadavers and and you know dead bodies and identified all these muscles that are in different compartments and so on but uh, these are all these muscles are in chains. And especially connected through connective tissue like fascia and all these chains work together to create these broader movements that we go through in our daily life so you know if if there's ever research pointing to like oh this muscle is responsible for shin splints it's it can never be that simple it's this muscle has been identified as you know a potential contributor because that makes sense for these reasons but then you have to look at well what what affects that muscle and then you start looking up the chain and like tom said there's the breathing, there's the core, there's the hips, there's all these other muscles and, and chains and sequencing of movement that will affect how those muscles function as well.
2: Yeah, and like it's energy efficient to do that. So yeah, one of the, the best things that you can trial right now, if you're someone who wants to give it a go is like, if you just jump up get into a squat position, hold it for five seconds and then try and jump versus doing a squat jump, just quickly going down and jumping back yeah. up. In the second one, I'll guarantee you that you'll go higher and there's a thing called the stretch shortening cycle which in part is you, know, you can go look it up but essentially you, you're storing energy then releasing energy and that happens across all of the body we just do a lot of it more with the lower leg just because of you know, the Achilles and, yeah. you know, and the way that people get injured in sports and whatever but like with walking, with running and this is back to the point that you said like there are efficient ways to do it efficiency is minimising the muscular fatigue that occurs Right, that is a big part to it, and if you can do that by having an efficient movement pattern, that is getting access to the storing and releasing of essentially free energy. Like there, there are some um, research articles that show, like, if you walk in a certain way, like you can expend like you know sixty percent less muscular energy, etc. Like, and a lot of that is just coming from stretching of the connective tissue, and then it's sort of springing back into place. Yeah, and like if you can access that which ha- which we'll touch on in a second like that's going to help minimize the fatigue going to help maximize mm-hmm. more control if you have access to it yeah and, and it'll change
1: the load that's placed on those muscles mm-hmm. so you know it, it is helpful to understand these different risk factors and understand the different contributing um you know w- or what muscles might be contributing to that pain that you're experiencing but if you then take that and go okay well i just need to train those muscles then you might miss the broader picture of well how else how is the rest of your body functioning Mm. and why are those muscles being overloaded because it it may just be a a training error or it could be that other aspects of your um movement system need to be addressed as well so
2: that probably can touch on what do we do about it yeah that that would lead in very well (laughs) well how to change your current status quo what a laugh um so it, what's interesting on that when you are talking about running technique again i think the first two things that you see in there reduce speed and then increase cadence hmm. so breaking that down if you start to reduce the speed that you're running at it doesn't mean that and for a lot of people they think that they should start taking less steps so increasing cadence means taking more steps per minute you can actually reduce how fast you're going but increase how many steps you take it's gonna mean that you take a shorter step length and stride length, and that's gonna change the amount of muscular effort required for those four muscles to control your foot coming down. Because what will end up happening is your foot lands closer to being under your body than it does further out. So if you think about if you're really bounding or if you're really striding out, that's gonna require more control than versus keeping the foot closer to you and taking more quicker steps. And to be honest, it's a very effective tool when treating people who have shin splints. Like, because they're gonna want to if they're a runner and they have this problem, they're gonna want to keep running as much as possible. Like, that's yeah. all runners. All and runners. That's, and that's an understandable thing. It's a part of who they are. So, having these little ways of slightly altering their technique can be very useful. It will load other tissues, and we have to be aware of that. But these are just the simple things that they may need to do, which may make their running more efficient in the you know the coming months anyway. Yeah. And the other thing to do is avoid hills, which I've always found interesting as a, a point, but that is interesting mm. I, a big part of it I assume is coming in the fact that when you have to go into running up a hill right you then have to run down it, and running down it's the same problem <laughs> oh, right it's <laughs> more the yeah. running down yeah. Hills, probably yeah you've, you've, you, you're going to slap that foot down which is going to go into pronation so you're going to have yeah. to acquire the control there yeah and additionally like depending on how you run up the hill like I try to let my foot go into quite a bit of a, a bend in the dorsiflexion so that's going to stretch all those tissues to spring up but again if you're having a traction problem then you're not going to really want to feel that because it's going to be uncomfortable yeah so pertaining to what is relatively flat but not a big hill is a good first way i think to start checking that running technique
1: yeah and that i guess that kind of leads into like like you said if you're running down a hill and everyone who's run down a hill will resonate with this (laughs) is it's it's very easy to just slap 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 especially because it's It's a decline, like and there's more force, there's more gravity going down. Mm. Um, But a lot of people run like that on flap, where it's slap, slap, slap. You can hear their footsteps and it's heel striking and then the rest of their foot is slapping down. So that in itself is a a cue that you're probably not controlling those movements as well as you could. So Mm. listening to your running, I actually used to run with uh, music going Mm. and then... For some reason I was like, mm, this feels like it's distracting me. I started running without music and I could tune in with my breathing and I could also listen to my footsteps much better and that, I feel like that made a big difference to my running.
2: Sensory integration. Sensory
1: integration. Key. <laughs> so, if you're one of those person who just pounds the pavements and, it, and every time you run it's like slap, 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 like you, you pretty much should, get, should be able to get to the point where you can barely hear your footsteps and it's just kind of gliding along. So mm. that's a sign that you're interacting with the ground very efficiently. Yeah. Because if you're hearing a slap, so that's a f- that's force going into the ground and there's something called ground reaction force, which is where- Physics. <laughs> which Physics, baby. Thanks Newton. <laughs> um, but every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So if you're providing force into the ground, then that force is gonna come back into your body and some kind of some tissue has to absorb that force and load um so that's just something to to touch on with running technique as well
2: you're not often getting the access to the the free energy either essentially free energy right yeah so running is
1: not as fun and (laughs)
2: And i think this is where you can like layer it into um the next part of what people should do like those muscles that we spoke about before like your big toe flexor, your little toe flexors your TBRs posterior and the soleus, like they all need to have a certain level of capacity, whether that's strength or endurance power to allow you to continue running. So I've I've thought about this a lot, particularly um, with one of the other physios at work. And there is part of me, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'd love to hear anyone's thoughts on this. If we continued growing up, not being in shoes, not sitting all the time, and we weren't necessarily looking for complete athletic endeavor i'm not really sure that you'd ever have a problem and you probably wouldn't have to do too much strength training per se yeah but because of the environments that we're in both the enclosure of our feet the sitting the lack of movement all that i do think it then becomes imperative that you have to do some form of isometric work for tendons concentric eccentric work for these muscles that we're speaking about and again we probably don't think so much in muscles we just think movements like we rather just Improved movements those things may not have had to have happened but i do think now if you're someone who's going through this you have to start figuring out where those weaker points are or like where where can we raise your floor so you become more of a resilient human yeah what do you know
1: i I agree i've had this thought before actually and you know the question is well what why Why is strength training so effective? Because there is good research behind strength mm. training and resistance training for a lot of conditions. Mm. And it's like, I wonder why that is when like, you know, that's not, it's not, I suppose, quote unquote, natural for for you to just do one movement over and over again and sort of gradually increase the load. But like you said, it, we're not in natural conditions. <laughs> we're mm, not yeah. in natural environments. And we certainly don't move naturally or anywhere close, even those of us who are active and, and we exercise, that's not the equivalent of moving through a natural environment day in, day out. So, and, 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 you know, we, a lot of us, well, pretty much all of us, if we went to school, we were extremely sedentary throughout most of our developing, developing years. So we're coming from a place of lack as sort of, as sad as that is, we are lacking, uh, a lot of movement nutrients in our movement diet and strength training and, and often isolated exercises are like a supplement that you can take to then help you get towards accessing more of those, those movement nutrients, basically.
2: Which is, yeah, like, you know, if you looked at it from motor control, that's like part practice. You, yeah. you know, if the movement's running, think about all the things that go into running Yeah, and break them down and go, in which of these particular movements am I lacking uh, the ability, whether that's strength, endurance, even just the skill, and then looking like maybe I could improve that. Yeah, And then that will be plugged back into your running and your running will improve.
1: Because you're only as strong as your weakest link, right? Oh, look at that. <laughs> oh. So, if you... So, if you're running, yes, it is a global movement, but your ankle's really stiff or um, weak, like you have really weak uh, ankle plantar flexes, then something's gonna have to pick up the slack. And so then that's, that's often, you know, you may not get the pain in your ankle, you might get the pain in your knee, but it might be because your ankle's weak. So uh, that's why we often like to break things down and s- check areas and see what's working well and what's not working well. It doesn't mean it's the whole picture, but it's like, well, if if we at least start by getting this ankle moving, get this ankle stronger, then yeah. ideally, like the body is self-organizing. So if you shore up the weak links, then things should start working better automatically. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's, I guess that's good background or good context as to why we would recommend isolated strength training exercises as well as integrated yeah. efficiency or in integrated technique sort yeah. of drills.
2: And I think we, you know, the model that I first learned, uh, I think I actually messaged this to you the other day. It's like global, local, global. And I got that from like the running clinic. And it's like, look at the movement globally. Can you see somewhere where it can probably be, be improved? Are they leaking energy or something? Get local. So if it, you know, you're look, we're looking at your shin and your ankle and your foot start looking at where in those movements can we see, does this person need more range, less range? Do they need more control? Do they need more strength endurance? And then globally is the part that I sort of rewrote to you, which is more in line with the TFC idea of like, go back and play. Like mm. go do the thing that you want to do once you've integrated, which, you know, strength conditioning coaches would look at as like, you know, part practice, then integrate into their movement. We just like the play aspect. And the reason I think it's super important here is like, it's really good to get the strength and the control and going through that however to just layer it and make it better you want to make it unconscious like there's no way that you should be thinking about pushing off with your foot every (laughs) bloody step for a run
1: yeah in a sense a run is a series of calf raises, but in another sense
2: it's absolutely not no it's very different (laughs) and it should be like a flowing movement like you know you love the beam and hacky and like handstands is one of your new things you mean really ripping that back it's into, not new oh, um, true, ripping yeah. back in he's yeah. ripping back in yeah but like they're all fundamental fun movements for your current routine but you know like dad just play like you're just playing with them and like yeah. trying to get better and like that term can be used for all sorts but if you think about that trying to make it more unconscious a bit more flowy get just into the rhythm once you've done the work you will find the integrations a lot better yeah, and that's going to be different for every person. Like you might find it's more the toe flexors or the tib post, even anterior tib, the cilius. You might find it's actually your hip, that's causing the part of the issue, and you won't know until you sort of go in and locally check out and assess all those things. Yeah. So I do think it's it's if you're someone who's struggled with this, like it's worth having that just checked out more thoroughly to find that weak, weaker points. Yeah. Because there's never you know at one specific root cause. There could be all sorts of things, but yeah. it's good to figure out can we improve some of those definitely it's like spots
1: it is it's like the example with handstands when I first started doing handstands my shoulders were tight into flexion and my thoracic extension was limited and my hands like it's very hard to do handstands when those things are limited like you can those are almost prerequisites to do a I nice they handstand. Are that, <laughs> they are prerequisites they are prerequisites and so I could be I could have just tried practicing handstands, 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 and if I never fully addressed my shoulder flexion and my thoracic extension, then I'd just keep butting my head up against the wall. I'd probably end up with some kind of pain in my shoulder, or you know, I didn't. Fortunately, I just did a lot of hanging and a fair bit, a fair bit of like thoracic extension work, and that made my handstands way better. So yeah, that that's that sort of global, like the the tendency is for people to go oh i want to run or i want a handstand i'm going to go and start doing a lot of that activity without necessarily looking at all of these things that uh can be seen as prerequisites to do that activity efficiently and i can tell you now that i've got the mobility in my shoulders and back then my handstands are really fun and I, they're really enjoyable and i never feel like i'm going to injure myself with the handstands because i know that my body is capable of doing them
2: that's probably a really good point that I can take to running, right? Because I've been barefoot running for, oh no, I don't know how many years now.
1: Much more relevant, yes. Yeah, yeah, much more relevant,
2: <laughs> but also just like, I've been building it up slowly, all right? And you know, you, you take time, you take minutes, you're you really just going through this sequence of like, okay, I'm feeling this out and then I'm improving it with some strength stuff. Whereas now it's to the point that I can run three times a week barefoot, concrete asphalt with no problem. But if you wanted me to do that two years ago, wouldn't been able to do it I mm. had to build up the tolerance through my, my feet getting like, the calluses stronger mm. getting my legs stronger like doing all that sort of work in the background and I think the difference between maybe a handstand for people mentally and the running is like running seems like this innate natural thing that we can all do like we can just go and run yeah. and we do it is a, a kind of a God given skill that we have but it doesn't mean you run really well or you run in a way that isn't going to potentially cause you to have some like leakage of energy and maybe just continue to load the same stuff. Like we said before, movement is never exactly the same. Like Jim's handstand, like if you have ever seen them, they're pretty good, but they don't no. always look the same, do they? Like they're, no. they're, they're always slightly different and they're always going to be, Yeah, that's there's always just, variation. It's just how the body moves and I can run. And if I'm, you know, don't have the option to slightly alter my run in different ways, move different ankles. You know, hips, whatever. You're just going to load the same tissue, and that's going to predispose you to experiencing some pain or discomfort yeah. in that spot. And that's where the work can be very useful.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Great point. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and 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 probably a key out of that is, it can take time, it does <laughs> and you you've got to be patient, mm. and you, I think a good thing to remember, especially with something like running, is. Yes, it's a natural skill, it's a natural movement, but we're not in natural conditions, like I said before, and you're actually working against years, probably decades of built-up dysfunction as a result of just a sedentary lifestyle, a sedentary environment, which we all have, even if we grew up playing sport and being active, it was relatively sedentary to what our bodies sort of expect and what our genes expect. So you do have to acknowledge that okay i've had 20 30 40 years sitting in chairs most of the day um and wearing shoes that have been weakening my feet so it's going to take a good while to build this back up and you have to be okay with playing the long game
2: which yeah it's probably the last point that i don't think we've touched on is the shoes Uh the old trusty shoes
1: the old trusty shoes so
2: well what are we going to say about shoes Well, you've got to know the difference between natural and natural footwear, really. But Mm. I think um, how about you just yeah? Have we explained the four Fs? I feel like we have. I think we have. It's probably worth touching uh, on again. Maybe touch on them so we can build off that, I suppose. Yeah.
1: So we used we've had a few different mnemonics throughout the time throughout our years um, to explain what I guess natural footwear is. A lot of people refer to as barefoot footwear, which is a bit of uh, Like a paradox I suppose so we just refer to it as natural footwear which is footwear that allows your feet to function naturally or as close to naturally as possible so the four F's are foot shaped meaning not narrow they're they're widest at the toe box widest at the toes is the shape of the foot Um, flat so without a raised heel which almost all shoes have Um, flexible which is just the ability to like twist and roll and move the shoe around in lots of different ways, which in that sense allows your, the joints in your feet to move naturally. So if you've got, think about it like if there's a cast, something that's really rigid, like a cast around your foot, your joints aren't going to be moving as much because they're just not allowed to move. So a, a rigid shoe is like a... a less intense form of a cast but it is still acts like a cast and it restricts your joints movement. And similarly, a heel kind of does the same thing. It just restricts your ankle and going into dorsiflexion and restricts your ankle movement. And then the last one is feel which is basically how much sensation are you getting through the shoe? How much ground feel can you get? And that comes down to how much cushioning or how thick the sole of the shoe is. So you want as much uh, as much ground feel as possible, obviously within limits of safety, which is a, another, another conversation. But those, if you are able to get sort of towards or work towards as foot shaped, as flat, as flexible as possible, and as much ground feel as possible, then that is towards the more natural end of the footwear spectrum.
2: Really good description of How's forest. That? Yeah. And now the question is, why is it important for MTSS, shin splints? Well, that's the fun part. So when when you look at it, if you start off exactly with everything you just said, right, you want your foot to function like a foot. So regardless if you're someone who is barefoot biased like we are, or if you're someone who loves orthotics, frankly, it doesn't matter. And if your foot can't function like your foot should, then there's probably going to be some problem. Mm -hmm. So we need to make sure that your foot can go through pronation and you can learn to absorb that force. And then your foot can become like its own rigid lever like it should to propel force. And that's where understanding your foot has 33 joints and there's a reason for that. It is very mobile. It's very adaptable and it's very good at, at doing a lot of things. And if we put it into unnatural footwear that completely screws up the four F's, you're losing the ability for all of that. And this is really much seen in like, you know, uh, something called like a toe spring in a running shoe, which mm. if you have a look at your standard jogger, it'll have a lip at the front. That lip is designed for you to roll off and be more efficient. But the thing is your big toe does that and big toe and second toe, like should do that. Yeah. You're, you're, they're designed to roll off and be the spring. It, the tension that gets put into that system then gets released and is allowing you to have, you know, free ish energy. Like that's cool, but we don't need the shoe to do that. Mm. Now, Should you go straight to a barefoot shoe having a shin splint problem? (laughs) Probably not. I probably wouldn't do that. But what you need to understand is like that shoe, depending on the shoe, it's probably going to weigh somewhere between two and 300 grams and that every piece of extra weight you have is going to increase the force that goes down through. So you're going to, it's going to drop quicker. And then you're going to have to potentially not have the control and that's very useful for you to understand with the lighter shoe but your foot functions you don't have this extra weight at the end of your leg and that's mm. important because then you're not swinging it as far forward so you're going to automatically increase the cadence by decreasing like your stride length you're going to start changing one of the two aspects mm. that we needed to change anyway and you're not striding out and jamming your heel down and letting your foot go all the way down to as far as it can in the shoe
1: yeah, that, that was the other thing I was going to say, is if you've got a big, thick, cushioned heel, you can get away with a technique that is a big overstride heel strike because you don't get that feedback from the ground to say, hey, that's not how you run. <laughs> yeah,
2: that is no good. Let's but, not do that. Yeah,
1: and this is this is the issue with those shoes. Like, like Tom said, you shouldn't necessarily jump straight into a barefoot shoe because your feet and body are probably used to having some cushioning but if you can address your technique or if you did get rid of you know a bulk of the heel and even a bulk of the cushioning then you would get much more immediate feedback from the ground about how how you're running so that there is there's trade-offs of of both really the probably the more important thing i imagine Tell me if you think I'm wrong, but the, mo- the more important thing is your technique and how you're striking the ground. But the shoe that you're wearing can promote a, pu- uh, a less efficient or more um, potentially more damaging technique, yeah. and you know a more minimal. Like if a lot of people, if they're used to running in big bulky shoes, as soon as they take their shoes off, their running style changes completely. Yeah, try it. Try it. It'll, it'll happen. <laughs> yeah. Don't. You won't, don't you won't go hit that heel your usual volume. Yeah. <laughs> but at the park, take your shoes off and just run for 50 meters, and we'll do it first with shoes on, and then do it with shoes off, and see how different it feels.
2: And that's and that is the key point. Like across across time, you want to get closer to more minimalist footwear. If you're someone who is super interested in trying to be more efficient with running, you're someone who's potentially doing a bunch of competitions for running. Like it's it's a it's gonna save you oxygen because every gram that you save in shoe you're you're lessening the energy that you're going to be using. Hmm. That's proven. That's research. That's great. So we like that. A you're gonna b you're probably gonna stop jamming your foot into places it doesn't need to, and you're gonna listen and feel the body. So that's probably the biggest thing I learned about going barefoot running is I get less sore from running now than I ever have. And there is a lot of factors to that, but one of them is I just I can listen to my body mm. better. I'm like, oh, you don't want to go this far today. We'll stop now. We'll have a rest. Yeah. Because I'm paying more attention. I'm feeling the ground and playing with it. And I think that is important to note. You're getting a lot, a lot more feedback, and you're able
1: to listen to that feedback mm. much better, which with, is how it should, how things should be.
2: Yeah. I think yeah. Once you you do all the other things like you, you check the global movement, get the, the running technique better. You're fixing or trying to change those local sort of ankle foot shin related problems. You're changing the technique back again after you've done all that stuff. And I really like what you said before about like the 50 meter run. Like that's one of the things that there, there are two ways that you can progress into more natural footwear. One is to just do normal running and then, you know, add a minute or two in the other running wear. or if you're someone who's just starting just start with a bunch of technique stuff. Start by running smaller intervals like 50 meters to 100 meters just to get it ingrained. It's what I do at the running clinic slash seminars that I run. I like mm. just repeat these little like bursts so you get used to the feeling. Mm. And you're able to hold it pretty well for about 200 meters because you're thinking about it. Then after that, it kind of goes, it can resort back to yeah. previous. And that's just the time and building the distance up with it. Yeah. And I think if you add all those things together, you know, it's you can have pretty good success with shin splints.
1: Yeah and yeah like you said and like we sort of always iterate it's a it's about the transition the long game and being patient everyone wants a quick fix which is fair enough and sometimes there are certain things like orthotics that can feel like a quick fix but it's not a quick fix it's a quick band-aid basically Mm -hmm. and if that's what gets you through you know a run Mm -hmm. that you've been training for, for (laughs) all year go for it (laughs) do it but if you know and and if you will not accept any decrease in volume in your running then you know maybe you just need to try and work on those technique things but really the best thing to do is just listen to the pain as feedback that there's issues uh, arising (laughs) there's issues there and really dial in and give make this your opportunity to, to i guess actually fix those issues or actually address the the root cause of those issues and then you will come back better stronger faster more efficient and you'll have a better time with your running or with whatever activity is that you're doing
2: i'm nearly positive you just said like a reference to a kanye west song (laughs)
1: um
2: so anything else to add there Um. Not really. I do. I do think. Like again, if you're someone who's struggled, like you said before, we always reach out, ask questions. More than happy to go through it. Like the three things that I love doing: helping people with the feet, breathing, and running. So like this is one of the fun area of the world. So if there's questions, just shoot them across. Shoot them across. Actually, better yet, shoot them across in the community. True. Yes. Which
1: you've all heard about. Um, that is the best place to ask questions because we want to. Have a space where when people ask questions and we respond it's all in the public eye especially you know all shared with people who are there to um, fix their feet or just you know improve their movement health so if you've got questions please ask them in the uh, join the community for one um there'll be a link in the show notes and ask in the community also just a quick shameless plug about the new resource that our TFC team are working on, myself and Tom included, um, that is coming in early March, which will be after, by the time this podcast releases, it'll be coming up, um, probably in a week or so. Mm. So that resource is going to be going through pretty much all the foundations of foot, ankle, knee, hip, overall movement health. It'll it'll be a 42 day journey and it will be your chance or it'll be your resource that will really help you just get your foundation right. And then over time, we'll be adding more um, modules and, and instructionals around barefoot running. Um, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these, uh, well, could just, not necessarily barefoot running, but just running in general, just, things that you can do to really start dialing in all of your strength, your technique and everything. But it it starts with your foundation. And if you can get that right, then you'll build on that really easily. So that's called the collective compass and it's coming soon.
2: And there'll also be breathing stuff and breathing. (laughs) Of course, it'll be there. (laughs) Of course. (laughs)
1: Um, so that's actually a very exciting project. It is. We're very excited mm. about it. It's mm. it's uh, been our brainchild that we've been sort of working on for some time, and it's going to be awesome. Uh, but in the meantime, or you know, if you if you prefer just to have individualized guidance, like we said at the start, um, we do have practitioners around the place in Australia. Um, great practitioners. We also have our own telehealth consults that you can get in touch with. There's a as a web page um, that'll be in the show notes as well. So feel free to get in touch about that but otherwise we hope you got some value out of this podcast please share it with anyone you know who has shin splints or even if you just want to prevent shin splints like prevention an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure so please do share this out with anyone that you know who you want to prevent shin splints yeah (laughs) which should be everyone yeah (laughs) um and otherwise
0: we'll catch you on the next episode
2: all right Adios.
0: See everyone. Thanks for listening to the Restore to Explore podcast. If you'd like to join us live for our next fireside, just jump into our brand new community. It's completely free, and inside you'll find a growing library of education, training, and resources to help you resolve common conditions, restore natural function, and explore your body's potential with a community that's there to support you along the way.